today, I'm going I'm to have you turn in your Bibles just to Leviticus. I'm, this is more of a topical sermon. It, it's following along the, the, uh, the pattern of what Moses taught. But last week I taught about the Ten Commandments. And really when you start reading the Old Testament laws, it can be difficult. And we hear people say this all the time. And in fact, it's probably one of the number one arguments that people make against what we believe and how we practice Christianity today in New Testament times is because people from the outside look at us as if we just pick and choose which rules we follow in the Bible so that when we tell other people you shouldn't do what the Bible says about X, Y, Z, then they look at us like we're hypocrites because they say, well, you just pick and choose which verses you follow. You, you still eat lobster. The Bible says you can't do that. And, and so what it does is it ultimately creates... Uh, uh, just a mindset in our society that you can just do whatever you want to do, that the Bible's archaic, and if you try to judge anybody else or keep anybody else accountable for what the Bible says, then you become a hypocrite yourself because you pick and choose what you want to follow. And basically, we're all just pickers and choosers um, creating a God and worship system of our own beliefs. Yeah, does that make sense? You all follow that? And so what I'm going to address today is what a lot of times people say is, you lost me at Leviticus. Because you got all those Old Testament laws, and how do you know which ones still apply today and which ones ended with Jesus' resurrection at the cross? Which ones apply for the modern church and which ones were just for the nation of Israel during Old Testament times? And it, it's not just arbitrary, okay? So I'm, I'm going to start with some of these, with just some strange laws, which... You know, a lot of you would be guilty of this. It says, you shall not round off the hair on your temples, okay, or mar the edges of your beard. In other words, you just let it grow out, okay? So I want everybody to look around right now and see a guy who has trimmed his beard or his, temp his hair around his sideburns and just look at them right now and point at them and say, you dirty sinner, all right? Just look at him, all right? We'll take them out of the service afterwards and stone them with stones out by the church pillars so that all may take fear of obeying Old Testament verses, okay? Uh, some of you may have gone to Red Lobster last night, and you will be stoned today after the service. It says, but anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fence or scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters, it is detestable to you. So no shrimp, okay, no lobster. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the water that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. Can't eat it, can't have it, okay? Uh, and then this one. Okay, some of you may be in trouble just being in church today. When a woman has a discharge, and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. Man, some of you are very unclean. You shook hands with a young lady today, and you didn't even know. Anything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. And everything also in which she sits shall be unclean. So the people at the next service 
who are sitting where some of our ladies are, man, they're going to be unclean because they sat in your pew. Do we need to mark the pews this morning? Do you need to announce coming in? I'm having my period. See why I told you it's PG-13? <laughs> You'll learn to listen to me. You really will. Like, I need to take Steve at his word. It says, and whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. So you're unclean for the rest of the day. Sorry. You know, if you're sitting next to them, make contact. Uh, here's part of why I share this today, because we got to take this New Testament verse seriously. It says, for who, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So you look at these rules, and if they still apply today, and you're not sure which ones apply today or not, then you're guilty of breaking every Old Testament and New Testament law. Okay? So we need to know. We don't just want to act in ignorance. We need to know which biblical verses still apply to us today and which don't. Okay? Bible says this. Some people just look at this verse, and they just throw out the entire Old Testament. Just throw it all out. None of it matters. It says, sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And so what a lot of people do, this is a theological term called antinomianism. It means there is no law. Some people look at it because I'm under grace. I can, and once saved, always saved. I can get baptized and I can go out and live however I want to because I don't have to follow the, the biblical laws. I'm under grace. I can do whatever I want to do. Some people look at that verse that way. Uh, and if you just have one verse, maybe you could interpret it that way, but you've got Jesus saying this. He said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law, capital L law, or the prophets. And saying law or the prophets was a way of saying the entire Old Testament. He says, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a iota, not a dot, not the dot of an I or cross a T, we would say today will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Okay, so what's the general principle here? Okay, let's, uh, let's go back to what we talked about last week. Every command that we see in the Bible, thou shalt not kill, for example, is based on a concept. The concept is life is precious. And it's based on the character of God, which is God is the author of life, or Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Okay? The command not to lie is based on the concept of we should be people who tell the truth. And the reason we do that, because Jesus says, I am the truth. The Bible tells us God cannot lie. So every command in the Bible is ultimately rooted in some characteristic of God. And so that's, that's what we're looking for. And therefore, anything that is rooted in the character of God in the Old Testament that is a moral law, it doesn't change. Why? Because God doesn't change. It says that in the Old Testament. It says it in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 8. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's character does not change. And still, yet there's some pastors in our area, and I'll be honest with you, they're heretics. Okay, uh, who would say that the Old Testament law is evil. They've just got a little problem with a guy called the Apostle Paul who said, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully or correctly. That, that is, you understand which laws apply today based on the character of God and which ones don't. 
So ultimately, here's the question we're going to answer today. We'll at least begin answering it. We'll, we'll get into details tonight. How did people know, even before the Bible was written, what was right and what was wrong? And if we can answer that question, it'll help us to answer the ultimate question of how do we know which laws still apply today? You ever, you ever think about that? How did Abraham know what was right or wrong? Moses wasn't born until 400 years later. You didn't have the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They weren't written until 1,000 years of human history had already passed. So how do you know what's right or wrong? I'll give you an example of this. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, took Sarah, Abraham's wife, to be his wife. And they got in the house and God struck them with a bunch of plagues. And so Pharaoh called Abram because Abram had just said to Pharaoh, hey, let me, let me back it up a little bit. Abram had said to Pharaoh, she's just my sister. And the reason he said that to Pharaoh is he was because they believed, the Egyptians believed, that adultery was wrong. Okay? And because they believed that adultery was wrong, if you saw a man with a woman and that was his wife, and you wanted to be and take her as your wife, it was wrong to sleep with her. And so the way the Egyptians fixed that is they would just kill the man because murder was okay, all right? And then it would be okay to marry the woman because the man was dead, all right? So, but here's what I'm wondering is how do they have this concept that adultery was wrong? Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? You had a pagan king lecturing Abraham on morality. He said, then why do you lie to me? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. What you did was wrong. Why did you lie to me? And it doesn't matter where you go in the world. When you tell someone something, they are expecting that what you tell them should be what? The truth. Whether they've got the Bible or not, no matter where you go in the world, there's this expectation of tell the truth. Where do they get that idea? And this is what I just I want to lay this for you foundationally. It's societies that, that live according to basic principles of the Ten Commandments have been the ones who have flourished and the ones that don't, don't. How can you communicate as a society if generally people don't tell the truth? How can you believe anything they say? How can you know to organize this or when to show up for work or what time you're supposed to be at a certain place unless people communicate and they communicate accurately with one another? It is total disarray if there's not a foundation of truth within a society. How, how are you going to flourish if people are just killing each other? What, what would families look like if people, how do you know who's dad and who's mom if people are just sleeping around with whoever? How, how can a group of people say when a child is born, what man is responsible for providing for this child? It, this is why it's so important. It's just this concept of where God's character is revealed in any way, that society needs to reflect that character to the world around us. Okay? So there are five types of Old Testament laws that I want you to look at, only one of which always applies today. And that's this first one. Uh, it's the moral laws. Because the moral laws that we see in the Old Testament are based upon the character of God. Okay? The moral laws are based upon the character of God. So 
Thou shalt not kill. Why? Because God is life. Thou shalt not steal. Why? Because God is a giver. He's, he, he's not a taker. Okay? Why don't we commit adultery? Because God is what? You tell me. God is faithful, right? God is faithful, therefore we don't cheat. We remain faithful just like that. Okay, those are the moral laws. Anytime you see something that is based on a moral characteristic, it's going to carry over from Old Testament to New. Okay? But then there's four that don't necessarily apply today. The second of which is called the mixing or the separation laws. And this is where we have to remember that God gave... Uh, a certain charge to Abraham that someday, watch this, his seed would be a blessing, seed singular would be a blessing to the entire world. In, in other words, God promised that a physical descendant of Abraham would be the savior of the world. And so in order to demonstrate the fulfillment of that promise, there had to be this knowledge of who Abraham's son was and who his son was and who his son was and who his son won so they could be demonstrated eventually the seed of Abraham. In the same way, it would be the offspring of David that would be the Messiah, right? And so there had to be an accurate representation, an accurate record of whose son was whose, whose son, whose son, whose son, whose son, all the way down to that was fulfilled in Jesus, Okay, And who you were as a Jew, there was a certain blessing that went to Jewish people just because they were physical Jews. But listen, how could you know someone was the descendant of Abraham? How could you know someone was the descendant of David? How could you know if someone deserved the blessing of the Jews unless you knew they were Jewish? Do you see? And you can't know they're Jewish unless they come from a Jewish mother. Still to this day, if you want to get into Israel and get citizenship there, one of the ways that you prove you deserve to be there is not whether or not your father was Jewish, because for the longest time, until we got things like Ancestry.com, for the longest time, you couldn't prove who your father was, but you could always prove what? Who your mama was. That was objective. Okay? And so what they would say is, though, there needed to be fidelity within those relationships. supposed to be a man with his wife, and this way it would know who the Jews were. And because God was so particular about this, wanting to show to the world that the Jews were his people, he, he went way out of his way to put a bunch of laws to reinforce in their mind that you need to be separate from all the other nations of the world so I can demonstrate that I have fulfilled my promise to Abraham, so that I have fulfilled my promise to David. Now, remember, if you're the God who cannot lie, that's really important to you. Some other people say, well, man, why is that important that Jesus was a Jew? It's important because God said so. And if God says it, he wants to prove it. And over and over, one of the most oft-used phrases in the entire Bible is a prophet saying on behalf of God, just as he said. If God said it, it's going to happen, and that's the way we want to live our lives. So here, here we are. Uh, you see rules like this. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. These are laws of mixing. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. So if you're in here wearing nylon today, we would stone you right after the service. Unless you're wearing 100% cotton or 100% wool, you've broken the laws of mixing. He even said this, don't even plow an ox with a donkey together. 
Don't wear a cloth of wool and linen mixed together. You, you shall make tassels on the four corners of the garment with which you cover yourself. It has to be whatever you wear, it can't be mixed clothing. Now, again, we would say, that's dumb. Why did they have to do that? And it was for this purpose. Watch this. Kid comes in and says, hey, I went to school this day with this Canaanite guy. And he had these awesome-looking clothes, and it was all this mixed fabric or whatever. And Dad would say, we don't do that. Why can't I wear it? That's a cool shirt, Dad. I like that clothes. I like the way they dress. We don't dress that way. Well, everybody's making fun of me because I'm not wearing clothes like everybody else. That's fine. Daddy, why? Because God gave us all these laws. Son, we don't even put green beans next to an ear of corn together. Why? To remind us that we are to be a separate race unto God because the Messiah is coming from our chosen race. Do you follow that? So they taught that to their people literally for 1,400 years. But here's the deal. Once Jesus was born and fulfilled that promise, then do you have to do that stuff anymore? No, because all those laws of mixing separation, they're done because it is proven. That's why you have the lineage when you come to the Christmas account, the lineage of and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. It is showing, as Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament laws of separation. And because I've fulfilled it, You're not going to have to dress this way anymore. Does that make sense? If not, come back tonight and ask me more questions. Say, I had no idea what you were talking about. Okay? All right, number three. Another M, medical or hygiene laws. Okay? This is what we have to remember about the context into which Moses spoke the Old Testament Torah or the Old Testament law. Okay? Here's an example. He says, these you may weep may eat all that are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether or not in the seas or rivers, you may eat. All right? We, we went over these verses earlier about how you can't have lobster. Okay? Now, today, we have refrigeration. If you're in West Virginia and you get a plate of lobster on your table at the local restaurant, okay? What can you know or what do you sure hope is true from the point at which that lobster was pulled out of the Atlantic Ocean till the time it got to your plate? What are you just counting on is true about that lobster? From there, point A to point B, what? It was refrigerated and or frozen, right? Because if it goes 48 hours without being, if any lobster or shrimp goes 48 hours, how many of you ever had lobster or shrimp that just sat out on the counter a little too long? Raise your hand if that's ever been true of you. Okay. Ron, you have. What was the result of that? All right. You had a very bad day, right? And technically, if it's been out 48 hours and you eat a bunch of it, it can kill you. This is what we have to remember. Like, at the same time, fish, you can dry fish. You can keep fish around. There are things you can do to where fish can last for many days. You can salt it in a certain way. You can still eat the regular fish, right? But you do that with shellfish, and my friends, you will die. Let's remember, where were the Jews written at the time, or living at the time that the law was written? In the middle of a what? Desert. desert. De- in the middle of a desert means you're a long way from the ocean. 
They weren't like Whole Foods, and they couldn't fly in lobster overnight. And so what Moses is saying is if you, somebody tries to serve you shrimp out here in the middle of the desert, you can be sure that it hasn't been refrigerated for the last 48 hours because they didn't have it. Therefore, stay away from it. It's detestable to you. Now, listen. Did God give this rule? This is like every rule in the Bible. Man, this is so practical today. It's more like a Bible study than a sermon. But listen, did God tell them, you can't eat shrimp because he says, you know what? I know these people really like shrimp, and I don't want them to enjoy shrimp because I'm just a killjoy God. Is that why he told them, I'm giving you this rule? No. Why did God give him them these rules? It's the same reason you tell your kids, don't, and again, this is why I told you don't have your kids in here today, little ones, don't stick the bobby pin or the paper clip into the electrical outlet. You're not doing that because you want to take away their desire for experimentation. You're doing it to save their lives. And this is the way it was with every law that we see in the Old Testament. God is doing it to spare them from problems. Now, I'm really going to get into it. This is going to be, oh, why are you talking about this? All right. I probably should have warned Dee because she hates it when I do embarrassing things in the service. Okay. Do you want to leave now? Okay. Sorry, honey. I'm supposed to warn her of these things. All right. When a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. So you know what they did with all the women when they were having their periods? Okay, they didn't have feminine hygiene products back in the day. I, I, I just want you to get this picture while they had these rules. They used to make the women go outside of the camp while they were having their period, and they would have to stay out there for up to a week and then go through a ceremonial cleansing before they could come back and be with their families. And you're like, man, that is misogynistic. It's oppressive to women. Why do they do that? Again, let's just remember the context into which these commands were written. You ready? I know this is really cerebral today. You're not going to come out here with a heart change, but your mind determines the way you feel. So I want you to understand this, okay? Two million people living out in the desert. That's what we have, okay? Of those two million people, approximately, you're a bunch of math geniuses, how many of those 2 million people living out in the desert were female? And the answer to that is what? About 1 million. You guys were genetics majors, I can see, okay? All right, of those million living out there in the desert, about half of them would have been childbearing age, okay? So that means you had 5,000 women that at some point would have been on their menstrual cycle. In any given week, how many women are having their periods? About approximately 125,000 women in the middle of the desert, all in heavy flow for at least two or three days, okay? And all they got is rags, and they don't have running water, and they don't have sewer. What are you going to do? Go outside your tent when you're done with that rag, put it out front, go back in, wait about a little bit longer, and here's it, throw another one out in the middle of the sand. What happens if 125,000 women are all doing that at the same time in a Compact location. Let me just ask it another way. When's the last time you grilled out and you put hamburgers out and you had a little blood there left and when you put it on there? What, happened, what is on that plate within two minutes in the middle of the summertime? Flies. And what do flies bring? Disease. And when disease brings death. 
And so while the world wants to paint it like this is misogynistic, it was oppressive to women, let me ask you this. What else would God have told them to do? You're talking about a big mess here if they don't come up with some hygienic method by which to remove the people that would bring something that would lead to disease among the people. What else is God going to do? And so there are a lot of like like washing your hands four times before you have dinner. Listen, there is a moral aspect to this. Why do you tell your kids to wash their hands before we pass the plate around the dinner table? Why do we do that? It's not a trick question, okay? Why do we do it? To kill germs. Why is it important to kill germs? So you don't spread disease to those around you. Why don't I cough (coughs) and then shake your hand? Why don't I do that? It's part of, listen, it's part of loving my neighbor as I love myself. Do I want you coughing your your cold on your hand and shaking hands with me? No. Then if I'm going to do unto others as I would have them do unto myself, I'm not going to spread my germs to you. This is even at the heart of this. The moral aspect of this is don't pass on your germs to other people. Be careful. Wash your hands. Do what you need to do so that other people aren't affected by your sickness. And we need to take rules and precautions around here. This is why we have uh, the health department is to make sure that people don't get sick when they eat. Does that make sense? Now, again, this isn't really touchy-feely. But people, just honestly, how many of you have ever heard somebody say, well, how do you know which Old Testament lies, or, uh, which Old Testament laws are lies, and which ones still apply today? How, do, how many of you have heard somebody say, well, you Christians just pick and choose which verses you follow? How many of you have heard somebody say that? Raise your hand. That's the vast majority of hands in this room because this, this is something we got to be prepared to give an answer for. Another thing that we got to give an answer for is these martial laws, these desert justice laws they had, just like what we were talking about today. Somebody does something wrong, you take them out in front, in front of the assembly, and you stone them with stones, okay? That's how the Bible described it. Why do, we have, why do they have these? Again, this is just where we have to understand the context in which it was written. And literally, watch this. Even once they got into the promised land, you don't see the Jews applying these laws very often. What do I mean by that? Imagine this. And some of you are probably, this is a good time to talk for Veterans Day. If you walk out of this door and look immediately to your left, there's a plaque there for all the people in the Cerrito Canova area that gave their lives in World War II. And there are a lot of names on that plaque. This community paid an awful price to keep freedom around the world. This community lost a lot. Some of you may even be here this morning and you lost a loved one in one of these previous wars. Okay? During the time of World War II, when it first broke out, and a lot of times we look back and we say, oh, I can't believe they did that. That was so unfair. They even make movies about it. When the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, they immediately did something that absolutely was not fair to Asian Americans, especially out west in California. Do you remember what that was? Do you even remember? What's that? They had imprisonment camps. United States citizens... We didn't know who was spying on us. We didn't know who sold us out on that whole Pearl Harbor thing. 
They had the Japanese had inside information. We didn't know what Japanese were here and maybe on military bases that would do terroristic acts. So you know what the United States government did as an immediate response because we were in war and we were trying to save the 99% as opposed to worrying about the rights of the 1%? You know what we did? We rounded up basically every Asian American and we put them in imprisonment camps. And, the, and so just to say to you, was that fair to them? And the answer to that is what? No. Absolutely wasn't. But what was the government's other option? that we're putting at risk the lives of millions of other Americans until we can vet these people and know whether or not they should be here, we've got to put them in a situation to where we can know the 99% are safe. And that's what you had in the middle of the desert during Moses' time. They were moving around and they were being attacked from outside nations for 40 years. Always had to be ready for battle. And if you're always worried about attacks from the outside, the last thing that you have time to worry about is what? Attacks from the inside. And so that's why we have something, even today, that still exists, if the president would need to call it. It's called martial law. It's where the constitutional rights that we all have are gone, and they've just got to assert order to that group of people. And so this is what happens. If you're rebellious, if you're breaking a law, since we're moving around all the times, we don't have time to build jails. And if you break the law, because, and it's a serious breaking of the law, we don't have time to have the full trial and jury and appeals process or whatever. If you're found to be guilty right at that moment, since we don't have jails and we can't tow around, we don't have time to feed you every day, what are we going to have to do? We're just going to kill you. Listen, laws apply the same today. If they call martial law in Canova, because there's a big flood. And you're out. They had this with a thousand year flood. They had a curfew. And if you were out past dark up in the Clendenin area, you could be immediately arrested for the crime of walking on the street after dark. Why did they have to do that? To prevent looting. Because everything is just, it's in chaos right now. And so this is how we're, same way during the martial law, these are the rules. If the army is patrolling the streets and they say you can't be out at night, even in our United States, in our enlightened society, if the army says you can't be out at night and you walk out at night and a soldier kills you, what's going to happen to that soldier? Nothing. Because you're the one that broke martial law. And so when you see all these harsh verses like this, you shall say to the elders of the city, you've got a rebellious son who's just running around at all times of night. He won't stay home. This is our stubborn son. He's rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton. He's drunkard. We can't control him. Then it says, all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. You shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. In other words, you won't have people violating uh, curfew any longer if you shoot the first guy that comes in after curfew. Now, I also want to explain something to you here where this is just magical about this verse and people don't understand, okay? And again, I know this is cerebral, but it, you, you got to get this, okay? Up until this time, in the same way that our society says today that a woman has 100% rights over a child in her womb and that child has no rights at all, this was true in ancient Near East societies for children up until the age of 13. 
In other words, if you had a rebellious 12-year-old, there was no child protective services at the time. Not just for the Jewish people, for anybody. You owned that child. He or she was your property. And therefore, if you had a 12-year-old and you didn't like them and they, for whatever reason, you weren't getting along, you could beat them just as much as you wanted to beat them trying to get them into submission. But let me tell you something that this verse did to save children's lives. Watch. If you have a rebellious son, according to law, no longer can you just take him out and beat the pulp out of him. Get this about God's mercy in this verse. No longer can you just kill a child. If they're, they're not your property. They have rights. If you think they're just incorrigible, you can't just beat them. You have to take them where? To the elders of the city. And the elders of the city then have the right to discern whether or not that kid can be redeemed. Whether or not they can be. This is giving rights to human beings, to children that they had never had before. Now, most people, they just read these laws and say, oh, man, look how harsh that is. What that was doing was protecting children, not hurting them. Okay, next one and last one. Ministerial or ceremonial laws. And this is one of my favorite ones to talk about, but I'm not going to have to talk about it very long because it really makes sense. When we read of Jesus, we see that he entered once for all. Watch this. Writer of Hebrews is saying to Jewish people about the Old Testament law that Jesus entered once for all into the Holy of Holies. Not by the means of bloods of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Okay? It says later, every priest stands daily at his service doing sacrifices, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, but they can never take away sins. The reason that God instituted the sacrificial laws of the Old Testament was that people in Old Testament times would look forward that they would understand the concept of where there is sin, there must be blood. But yet, innately in people's hearts, and this is what this verse is talking about, you know deep down that if you commit a sin, killing your lamb or your goat really doesn't make up for that. It really doesn't make you right with God, like, oh, I'll go sin as much as I want. As long as I keep killing sheep, it'll be okay. It's like deep down you know that doesn't make it what you did okay. All it was doing was communicating to, to you and to everyone who was a part of that sacrificial system that where there is sin, there must be death. So that when they present Jesus and they say that he is the Lamb of God, everybody will understand that he is actually the one who can die for the sins of the world, the true Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Do you get that? That's the purpose of all the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so what the writer of Hebrews says, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins and he sat down at the right hand of the God, what is he saying? Is that Jesus fulfilled, as he promised back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial aspect of the law so that we never again, so that eternally we never again have to offer, offer a sacrifice out of obedience to God for our sins. So all those Old Testament laws about killing and blood or whatever, we don't follow those anymore because Jesus fulfilled them all. 
Why? Because Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, that means he died on the cross for your sins to purify you from all the wrong things you've ever done and from all the wrong things you ever will do. Things for which you deserve stoning. Things for which you deserve hell. But he purified you by his work on the cross. My friends, man, this is the gospel. This is where you should be getting chills right now. This is where, like, if you're not getting chills right now, maybe you need to be baptized like these kids. If you're not sitting there saying, man, praise God he died for my sin. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. If you're sitting there right now saying, man, thank God for Jesus. I'd have no hope without him. If you're thinking there right now, it's okay if I keep sinning when I leave here today. Maybe you need the internal conviction of the Holy Spirit like these children have. And now Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high, interceding for you in this moment. Communicating that I have died for your sins. We do something now to commemorate looking back what Jesus did for us on the cross, but it's not sacrificing animals. What is it? It's communion. His body was broken and his blood was shed. So I want to close with this quote, just so you, just to wrap it all up, Okay. Jesus never violated the moral laws of the Old Testament. Therefore, we shouldn't either. But he did ignore laws which contextually and conceptually didn't apply anymore. Now we have jails. Now we don't always need the death penalty. We can incarcerate rebellious people. Now we have running water and sewer. Even in Jesus' time, the lady who had the issue of blood wasn't condemned because she touched the hem of his garment. Jesus made her clean. The church is a larger and broader context than a local nation who mixed their civil laws with their religious laws. The hygiene laws were given to protect them while they were in the desert for 40 years. The harsh punishment laws were no longer needed because they're no longer under martial law. Ceremonial laws are no longer needed because Jesus fulfilled them all with his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. But since the moral laws are based on the character of God and since we are created to live our lives reflecting the glory of God and, and to demonstrate his attributes to the world, we don't just practice Old Testament moral laws out of obligation. We do it because we want to live like Jesus lived. Tim Keller writes this, one way to respond to the charge of inconsistency from others may be to ask this counter question. If they say, well, you just pick and choose, why don't you just follow all those laws? This is what we, how we reply. Are you asking me to deny the very heart of my Christian beliefs? To which they will say, why did you say that? And we respond, well, if I believe that Jesus is the resurrected son of God, I can't follow those Old Testament laws. All those clean laws of diet and practice, and I can't offer animal sacrifices. All of that would be to deny the power of Christ's death on the cross. And so those who really believe in Christ must follow some of the Old Testament moral laws 
But we also must ignore others that are not. Jesus opened the door for you so that you would no longer be under those laws, so you would no longer have to live like many Jews live today, trying to earn their way into heaven. But Christ paid your penalty for you so that by his death and resurrection and by faith that he is the one who makes you righteous, you can find power and life in his name.